around the world. But I wanted to get into my sermon series uh, we're going to be open for the next couple of weeks called Love and Money. Um, I do want to give you guys a fair warning. Gentlemen, every man in this room, please look at my face. Valentine's Day is in eight days. Now, I said it. Your wife heard it. If come February 14th, you show up with nothing, you are on your own. Okay? I wash my hands of you. You have been warned. And we're going to talk about love and money. I think there's a connection here because especially when you look at Valentine's Day, the how much you love someone is the amount of money you're probably going to spend on them. No, that's not true. That's not true. Some of you know better than that. You know, I, I was given good advice uh, as, as a young man. Uh, you don't go out the gate in the dating with like buying these big gifts. You got to start really small, almost disappointing. Okay. That way you can build on that every year. Uh, if you start out the gate with really big stuff, you've got to top that in years. to. It's just not going to work. It's not a sustainable pace. But we're going to spend this, these next couple of weeks just looking at a few places in Scripture uh, where love and money come up. And this is significant because throughout the New Testament, Jesus speaks on these two topics more than anything else. He talks about it more than heaven, more than the kingdom of God. He speaks on love and money and the connection that is between the two of them. You spend money on things that you love. That's why your grocery bill is so much, right? Because you love your kids enough to feed them some days. You, you know, you take care of yourself, you buy clothes, all of these things, and, uh, you know, inflation has really made that love increase, praise the Lord. You, you love them even more now. But there is a connection, and Jesus kind of talks about this connection that takes place because he goes on to say, hey, wherever your treasure is, whatever you value, the things that you're invested in, your money, your wealth, wherever your treasure is there, your heart is going to be also. And he really wants to drive home this point for his disciples, for his followers, us in turn, the understanding that there is a direct connection between where we are invested financially and how much we love. And so he talks about this as well when it comes to uh, the idea of our love for him. And there's a, a couple of stories that we'll look at, and today is one of a rich young ruler. Now, this guy's got it all. He, he is young, praise the Lord. He's rich, thank you, Jesus. He has power, right? He gets to tell everybody what to do. What could be better for, for this guy? He's, he has served God his whole life, which we're going to read about in just a second here, but there's something going on for him. And so if you're with me, we're going to read in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 21. It says that as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked, only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone, honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done. There's still one thing. You know, I was kind of looking at this and studying this this week it's this guy he wants to go and he wants to have a conversation with Jesus because he's got a nagging question in his heart he, he kind of wants to well first of all his his greeting good teacher he's he's buttering up Jesus okay that's why he calls him good teacher if you could try that any students in here uh, if you go to school tomorrow if you forgot to do your homework when you go to tell your teacher walk up to him and say good teacher 
I didn't do my homework this week, but good teacher, I know that you are so gracious. So you could try that. But he's buttering Jesus up. And he says, good teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And we could kind of flip that question on its head because we read later that he says, every one of the commandments that has been given, he's like, I've kept these my whole life. I don't steal. I don't, you know, say false things. I've never committed adultery. I don't, you know, worship false gods. I don't do any of those things. And basically he's saying, "Uh, Jesus, I'm very religious, but I still have a nagging question in my heart. Jesus, is there something beyond my religion that could keep me from eternity? Is there something beyond the rules and the regulations, the do's and the don'ts that could keep me from eternity? And this is the nagging question that is in this young man's heart. And it's the idea of empty religion. Listen, we talk about this all the time, that following God, Christianity was not meant to be merely religious. I hear people say all the time, you know, I have a grandmother or grandfather, they're very religious, or my my wife is very religious, my husband is very religious. God did not send his one and only son to die on the cross so that we could find religion. He sent his son, God incarnate, to be God among us so that we could have relationship. And it's not just about following the do's and don'ts. And no, don't get me wrong, we don't throw those out the window and say, well, it doesn't matter, you can do whatever you want because grace abounds and nothing else matters. Listen, our way of honoring Jesus for his sacrifice is by continuing to be obedient and submitting ourselves to what it means to be holy. But this man, he has a dilemma. He's like, I feel like I've been holy. I feel like I've done the right things but I still have an emptiness inside of me. What am I missing, Jesus? And so we read about this in the next couple verses here, verses 21 to 25. Jesus, looking at him compassionately and in love, he says this, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them, but Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. How many of you know how to sew? A couple of you? Can I tell you there are a few tasks that raise my blood pressure more than trying to get a simple piece of thread into a needle. Like I know people who are, they're like a seamstress, right? And they go, all you do is this. And I'm like, and I still can't get it in. So I usually ask somebody for their help. Now, This is something that's supposed to go in there, right? And Jesus is saying that when it comes to being rich, it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And you know, we we look at this in this contrast. I mean, the reality is he's just saying it's impossible. It just can't be done. And, and so, you know, I think for us in here, we're, we're asking ourselves, okay, okay so rich people, I'm, <laughs> that's not me, I'm good, we're, we're, we're safe here because I'm not a rich person. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Do you know 
that whether you consider yourself to be the poorest person in this room, you are among the top 10%, top 10% of wealth in the world. Think about that for a second. There are people all over the world. In fact, 1 billion people on the, on the planet Earth live on less than $1 per day. Wouldn't you love that budget? Another 2 billion people a year live on less than $5 a day. We are rich. We really are. We have so much, so many blessings. And, and again, not to throw those things out, they're great things. I, I love all of the things that we get to enjoy, but we are rich. So I think it's so important for us to really take hold of this teaching from Jesus because in our own minds, we can think to ourselves, well, he's just talking about like the really super, uber, duper rich people, obviously not people like me, but Jesus is speaking to us. And he says it was going to be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter into eternity. Now, he tells this young man, I want you to go sell all of your possessions. And when we read this, there's just something inside of us, and this has been debated among theologians forever. Was Jesus talking about a universal decree that everyone who follows him should forsake wealth and follow him? Or was this just you know, specific to this young man? So I thought that was a great question. I came across this quote from theologian R.H. Gundry, and this is what he says. That Jesus did not command all his followers to sell their possessions gives comfort only to the kind of people to whom he would issue this decree. Think about that for a second. I'm sitting in my office, I'm studying this this week, and it's like, Okay, surely, you know, Jesus is not saying everybody has to give up all their wealth. Like, you got to sell everything and live out of a box and, and follow Jesus. That's not what he's saying. It was just for this guy, right? And so, let's go to the commentaries. What do the commentaries say? Is it for everybody or is it just for this guy? And then I come across this quote. The only people who are going to be comforted by the reality that you don't have to give up your possessions are the very people that God would look in the eye and say, you need to sell everything and follow me. What a challenging thought. What a challenging thought. I was kind of looking at this week this idea of relative opulence. How many of you have ever heard the word opulence before? You have more than you need. It's over and above, right? And in Christianity, uh, sometimes people who have more than others, they can kind of get a bad name. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that having things is bad. If you are, are tithing to the Lord and giving to the Lord and generous with your money, I know people who like that. Just as Pastor Mike said earlier, that you can't outgive God. I met a guy years ago, he kept saying, it doesn't matter how much I give away, I feel like the Lord just keeps giving it back to me. I see that. I see that in people's lives. But then there, there's the other side of this. People will look at a pastor like Stephen Furtick. If you've ever heard of him, he's the pastor of Elevation Church in North Carolina. And people look at, does Stephen Furtick really need a $1.7 million home? Does he really need that? They'll look at someone like Joel Osteen. I'm not a huge Joel Osteen fan, but just for the sake of conversation. Joel Osteen really need his own private jet? Does he really need that? I mean, come on. And we look at that and we're like, that's, that's just, that's above, that's extra, that's as my kids would say. But here's, it's easy to look at him, but I'll throw myself under the bus. Do I really need a third car? Do I really need a motorcycle? 
do I really need, <laughs> some say, yes, you do need a motorcycle. <laughs> and on the eighth day, the Lord made Harley. <laughs> I don't have one, but if you're feeling generous, praise the Lord. That's awesome. God is good. But really, really, you know, it's easy to look at what others have and say, that's, that's, that's over, it's extra, it's too much. But it's so hard for us in our own lives to look at the things that we have and really begin to ask that question, do I really need all this stuff that I have? Do I really need this? Like, I have all of it and I enjoy all of it, but do I really need it? Is it, is it something that's giving life to me? I'll never forget a couple years ago, I had a man that was going to my church, I had been speaking on giving and being surrendered in finances to the Lord, and this, this man came up to me afterwards, and he said, Pastor, I love that, and I think it's great. He says, but I just got to be honest, there's no way I could ever afford to give 10% of my income to the Lord. And I understand that. I, I mean, I really do. Because if you're in a place in your life where it's like, hey, I've never done that before, I've, I've never given to the Lord, the idea of taking a 10% pay cut for the name of Jesus does not sound appealing and when we look at it that way, it's like, okay, that, yeah, there's just no way I could do that. And I, you know, I told him, I said, hey, I understand, you know, the Lord works in our hearts. Just take a step. Start to, start to become uh, generous in some way, just trying to talk with him. A few months later, I'm driving by his house, and I see some construction stuff going on, and just making small talk with him. I said, hey, you know, what's going on over at your house? And he goes, oh, yeah. He goes, well, we're putting in an asphalt pad for the camper, because I didn't want the camper to have to sit in the grass. I just don't feel like that's good for it. And if the camper's sitting in the grass, that could really wear it out over time. So I feel like the best thing to do to protect my investment is to also put an asphalt pad underneath the camper so it's protected. But I can't give to Jesus. What? What? Listen, church, and I'm, I'm not trying to be I'm not trying to point fingers at anybody. I'm just telling you, this is something God's been challenging me in as well. This question for this young man, how much do you really need, young man? I love how David Platt puts it. He said, there are a lot of things in American Christianity that we need to review to see whether they're biblical or just American. Our pursuit of stuff, of more, bigger, better, shinier, faster than anybody and everybody else, keeping up with the Joneses, all of these things we do time and time again. The only people who are comforted by the reality that Jesus' decree to renounce wealth is not universal are those to whom God would say, perhaps, just perhaps, your stuff matters more to you than you realize. Maybe it's just a little bit extra. Maybe. You need to think about what place it has in your life and what place I have in your life. And church, this challenges me because it is much easier to look at somebody else who has more and say maybe they're not using their finances the best that they could. But what about mine? What about my finances? What about yours? How much do I love the Lord? Do I love the Lord enough to be surrendered in these areas of my life, to invest in the kingdom of God? Or am I like, no, I just can't afford it. I'm sorry. I, you know, I wish I could. I'm glad there are people who can. Uh, you know, grateful that the church survives on that preacher. I get it. You got to talk about that because you need a paycheck. I get that. That's where we sit, right? But Jesus looked at this young man with loving compassion and he said to him, listen, young man, You've been very religious your whole life. You go to church all the time. You sing the songs. You know the words. You, you, you maybe volunteer here and there. You do the right things. 
says, but son, please hear me. There's something you're missing. There's something you're missing. You are, you are a captor to the things that you claim to own. And I want you to be set free from it. The disciples just can't believe this. They're like, they basically throw up their hands and they're like, who can be saved then? Forget it. If you're saying it'd be easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it would be for a rich person to enter it, I mean, who, what hope is there for any of us? We're, we're, we're hopeless. But Jesus says in verse 27, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. And then Peter began to speak up. If, if you read through the New Testament, Peter's always like the mouthpiece. He's like a speak first, think later kind of guy. Peter began to speak up. Well, we've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property. Praise the Lord. Then he says something else like, whoa, Jesus, you could have stopped here along with persecution. This is when the PR director for Jesus is like, yo, come here. When we're addressing the crowds, don't bring up persecution. Like, Like, you can bring up the hundredfold houses, brothers, sisters, like, you can bring all that stuff up, but let's just like, you know, let's wait, let's keep that a little low, and we'll, we'll talk more about that persecution stuff maybe in like lessons 20 and 25. This is lesson one. This is the way Jesus does business, right? And he says, listen, this is what it's going to be. You can follow me. And, and they're all excited about themselves. Well, we gave up everything, Lord. We're, we're good. And he says, yeah, everybody who's given up things, they're going to receive a lot more along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. He's talking about perceived importance. What matters? What matters? What what is it that really has meaning? What is it that really has value? What is it that's truly worth investing in? You know, so often we can read in Scripture, it almost looks like Jesus is, I mean, he's like heavy-handed, maybe a little bit mean sometimes in the way he says things, very direct and to the point. But the reality is that everything he speaks is founded in this very thing that we read in the early verses where he says, looking at this young man, he was just filled with love for him. And when he speaks this to his disciples, he's filled with love for them. When he speaks it to us, he's filled with love for us. He says, listen, I know that it's, it's a very human and normal thing to do. I bet if he could talk to us, he'd say it's a very American thing to do. To build your kingdom, to invest in yourself and your own things and your own stuff. And please believe me, I'm not pointing fingers. I got my own things the Lord's convicting me on. But he says, where do I sit in importance in your life? He goes, the things that you're willing to give up for me, I'll pay back to you. I'm going to give that back to you. But please understand this, that even then, 
There's still going to be persecution. There's still going to be trial. There's still going to be tribulation. It's not going to be easy. And if the only thing you're thinking is that this sounds like a great investment strategy, okay, I'll give up everything for Jesus because he's saying if I do that, I'll get a hundredfold back. That sounds great. If I were to tell you today, I have an investment strategy that pays back a hundred times your money, everybody in here would be like, okay, let's do this. But Jesus adds this other clause. He's like, that's not the reason to do this. Getting back from me is not the reason to do this. Getting, uh, and he's really just making this case here. He's like, you're only thinking about the earthly things. And he's like, and I could give you a hundred times as many houses. I could give you a hundred times as many brothers and sisters, moms and dads and property. I could give you a hundred times that stuff. But coupled with persecution, it really doesn't mean anything. Coupled with what it means to really follow me, that stuff doesn't mean anything. He says, but the person who endures, they will inherit eternal life. He's answering the question this young man asked in the very beginning. Jesus, good teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? This is it. You know, as a pastor, I've been to a lot of funerals. Hundreds. Hundreds of funerals at this point in my life. Every time there are people who are laid out and there's family members who want to get up and they'll want to say something, they'll want to you know, talk about grandma or grandpa, mom or dad, or a brother or sister, any of those things. And I just want to tell you this, and I hope you'll hear me. In the hundreds of funerals that I have been to, I have never in my life seen someone stand up and say, Grandpa had the biggest house on the whole block. Grandma had more money in the bank than anybody else I've ever met. I've never heard that in my entire life. Mom and dad, man, they, they just had it all. They, they, they made sure they bought a brand new car every single year, and they invested in making sure they never heard that in my entire life. You know what I have heard? People who stand up and say, my grandfather was so generous. He would have given you the shirt off of his back if you needed it. My grandmother was so generous. She, she went without so that the kids in the family, even neighborhood kids who weren't even in her house, so that they could have what they needed. And it's not the wealth, the possessions, the, the treasures, the kingdoms. Those things in those moments are never celebrated. You know what's celebrated? Generosity. They were so generous to the world around them. And church, we can get caught up too many times in this pursuit of more and more and more. Build the kingdom, chase the next dollar, buy the biggest thing. Please, again, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. I am just as guilty of this as anyone, if not more, in this room. But Jesus looks at this young man and he says, listen, this is what it takes to follow me. You've got to be completely surrendered in every area of your life. And if you're not giving these things up to follow me, if there's anything in you have in your life that you say, God, I would do anything to follow you, but I couldn't do that. I couldn't give up this. God says, if there's anything like that, then I'm not most important. I'm not first. I'm not best. I'm not the biggest priority. The kingdom of God's not the biggest priority. And, and Jesus is telling them because his ultimate goal for every single one of us 
is he said, I'm not willing that anyone should perish, but that everyone should come to repentance and have everlasting life, eternal life in heaven with me. And church, that's what's at stake here. This young man asked, God, is there anything that could keep me from entering into eternity with you? And Jesus says, yeah, if you love your possessions more than me, that's going to keep you out. Let's just be very blunt. That's what he's saying. If you love your stuff more than me, that's going to keep you out. If you love your stuff more than your neighbor, that's going to keep you out. If I'm not first in your life and you're not surrendered in these areas, this poor young man says, I mean, he just walked away. It says his face just fell. He was so distraught. It's like, this is too big of a price. I've got so much. And this is what Jesus wants me to give? Church, it's a very challenging thing for us. And as we continue in the next several weeks of this series on love and money, I would love, you know, and I tell people this sometimes, I would love it if when I'm sitting in my office preparing messages, I could be like, you know what? What's going to make everybody really happy? This isn't on the list. Not at all. I said to first service at the end, I said, can you do me a favor? One more thing. And they were like, okay. I was like, don't hate me. But you know what? God gave me a call to preach the word of God without ever altering it for any reason, any purpose, any person. And this is what the word of God says. It says, even though we're American and culturally speaking, everything is okay for us and we can build our kingdoms as big and as bold and awesome as we want to, that God says, my kingdom forsakes those things. My people are not as connected to those things as they are to me. And church, that matters. That's something we should take very seriously. And so as we get ready to close here, I, I just want to challenge you in this. I'm not saying that every one of you has to go home and sell everything or you don't love Jesus. You misunderstood. That's not what we're saying. You have to go home and if you own anything, if you have more than one car, you've got to sell it and a motorcycle, absolutely. They cannot be kept. I'm not saying that. Listen, I do. God is so good, and I see people who are very generous that God just blesses and blesses and blesses, and it's awesome. But here's what I want to challenge you to do. There's a prayer that David gives in the book of Psalms where he says, and this, this is bold, he says, God, would you search my heart and see if there's any wickedness within me? Would you search my heart and see if there's any wrong way inside of me? And then he says this, and if you find something, would you purge it from me? Would you tear it out of me? Would, would you, and, and, and could, if we could apply that to this area of our lives, start looking at everything in your life and say, God, I feel pretty good about where I'm at. I don't feel like I'm living extra. I don't feel like I'm being wasteful. I don't feel like I'm being a bad steward. Uh, but God, everything, I lay it all on the table. And if there's anything I'm in pursuit of that it's like, no, no, that's not what I want for you. Listen, I know, I think to myself, there are things in my own life that I'm like, oh man, what if I laid that on the table and Jesus said, get rid of it. I'm telling you, it hurts to think of. But the promise that's at the end of this is he says, is that person, that surrendered person is the one who's going to inherit eternal life. And so my challenge to you is to look through your life, do some soul searching and say, God, what, what, what's in my life? 
What do I got going on in my life and my family and my household and my, my finances, my investments, all those things? What is it that maybe I need to look at? God, if you see something that's wrong, would you, would you point it out to me? and Would you purge it from me? Would you help me to take care of it, God? Because I want to honor you. I want to be honoring to you. Church, that's going to be hard. But I believe that if we really want to follow Jesus, that's what it's going to take. Will you bow your head to me? God, I thank you for every good and perfect gift that you have given in my life. And Lord, I want to say that there's nothing in my life that if you told me to give away, I wouldn't give it. The reality is for every one of us, there are things that we would wrestle with. There are levels of comfort. There are levels of status. There are levels of income that we enjoy. And the thought of not being in those places anymore is very uncomfortable for us, God. It gives us some hope that you haven't universally asked people to give up wealth. But the reality is, just as R.H. Gundry said, that the only way that's going to bring any peace to us is to realize that we're probably the people who need to hear that most. And so, God, I pray that you would challenge us. God, that we're comfortable in our American Christianity, but we want to live biblically. We want to live according to your word and be a people who reach the end of the race and stand before you and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And so, God, I do pray that you would help us and that you would open our eyes. As we're in prayer this morning, as maybe you're here and as we're kind of talking through this subject, you think to yourself, I just feel something tugging at my heart. I feel maybe there are areas of my life that I need to revisit, I need to review, and I want my priorities. I want my finances and everything I'm invested in to line up with God's priorities. If that's you, I just want to ask you to slip up a hand so I can pray for you this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hands all over the room. Thank you. Thank you. I don't want to spend my life invested in my own kingdom. I want to be invested in the kingdom of God. Anybody else? I don't want to miss anybody. Thank you. Can I ask you to stand as we get ready to close this morning, this afternoon? Listen, I don't have a thing to tell you to give to. I don't have something up here that says, all right, now that we've talked through this, come give the money. That's not my heart. My heart is that of what Jesus said when he looked at this young man. It really is love. I love you guys. And I want to see God's best for you. I want to pray for you and before we go and just pray that God would give you clarity. For those of you who raised your hand or maybe you didn't, that God would give you clarity to look through life and say, okay, God, search me. Search me. So God, I do pray that right now. God, I pray for each of us in this room that you would just begin to search us, search our hearts, search our lives, search our longings, the desires of our hearts, God, and make sure that within us, these things are lining up with your priorities for our lives. God, I pray that you would direct us in such a way that we would not be a people who live comfortably just to build our own kingdoms, but even like that young widow, Lord, who said, I'm willing to give everything I've got to, to continually push the kingdom of God forward. Lord, we, like this rich young ruler, could walk away very sad today thinking that we have way too much to give up if you would ask that of us. 
But I pray, God, that it is that very thought that would challenge us in our own lives, the reality of just how important our possessions are to us. And that in turn, we would see that you need to become the top priority. And so, God, I pray that if there be anyone in here or who's watching us online who would be so bold as to pray the prayer of David and say, God, would you search my heart? Would you look through my thinking? Would you look through my reasoning? Would you look through the areas of my life where I'm invested? And if there's any way inside of me that is wrong, would you purge it from me, God? Lord, I pray that as they call out to you, that you would answer them, that you would reveal what you're truly working in their hearts. And God, that they would realize that the blessing on the other side far outweighs anything and everything in this world that we could hope to achieve for ourselves. God, we thank you. And I pray that as we are challenged, we would not just be hearers of this word, but doers. For your glory and for your kingdom, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can I ask one thing of you? Don't hate me. I love you. I love you guys very much. Lord loves you. Love on each other and be encouraged by the blessing of the Lord as you fellowship together.